Uh, well, Lenny, it's a, it's a massive uh, pleasure to have you joining us on our Sales Transformation podcast. It probably should have happened a bit earlier than now, but thank you so much for taking part. Oh, thank you, Phil. I mean, the privilege and the opportunity is immense. I'm humbled to be here. That's great. I think the topic of this particular podcast, which is exploring artificial intelligence through the lens of ethics, I think is incredibly relevant for the world in which uh, we live today. But before we get started, um, I'd just like to explain to our listeners how I got to know Lenny. Um, Lenny has been in contact with us for a couple of years Um he kind of discovered the masters in leading sales transformation that, that we had and was kind of sharing curiosity to to join us. And after a couple of years, he did and uh, came over to us from Canada, which is which is great, and uh, joined a particular cohort. And um, I think for me, what was impressive, you know, what was impressive was the uh, passion that that Lenny had shared about the whole area of sales and sales effectiveness and uh, his desire to want to develop himself uh, in this area by by doing the masters and he's been one of the, the most brilliant students we've we've had I have to say um, but but Lenny they say this is how we met I'll never forget the first time that I saw you in in Kingston I think it was quite close to the office I think we may have stayed at the same hotel uh, but um, I think before we get going uh, perhaps you could share a few words about yourself and about your your journey um, your education you know you a little bit about your sales career and uh, perhaps you could also share sort of where you are now uh, you know where, you know, where, where who are you working for etc cetera, etc cetera. oh would love to would love to Phil. thank you uh... So my journey began uh, as a sales rep in 3M, uh, like carried the bag for a few years. I mean, about uh, six or seven years, progressive sales positions, uh, became a master sales coach trainer for the Middle East and Africa region with 3M, and then went on to read, uh, lead a regional business, uh, about $100 million or so uh, in the business role, and then carried on to do a stint in Six Sigma, and then became a national marketing manager for construction markets. So been around the block and more with 3M. All in all, I think I spent 22 years from start to finish with 3M. Okay. And traveled a lot too. I traveled to about 35 different countries with 3M. So I've been blessed to do that. And then my early part of education, I did undergrad at the Watford School of Business in the UK. I majored in marketing and did a minor in finance, uh, of course. And then I moved to Dubai from Canada here to start my own consultancy business, ran it for a couple of years, did not make the big mucho monies that I thought it all would do. <laughs> so returned back to Canada, uh, obviously left 3M and joined uh, Puro Later, which is uh, uh, the, Canada's biggest uh, courier and freight company. Okay. And I worked with them for about four odd years. And currently now I'm the director of sales performance at Cisco Canada. And uh, what we really do is when the, we are in the business of sharing food and helping one another as we go caring for one another that's our purpose so all the okay. burger kings of the world uh we serve them and the popeyes and so on and so forth 
that's uh, that's fantastic. So thank you, thank you, Lenny. Um, so let's move on to the the topic of your final um, dissertation, and uh, you became really interested in this whole area of artificial intelligence. So um, I wonder what uh, I wonder what brought you into this topic. I mean, you had all sorts of topics you could have majored on in that final thesis so uh, you could have focused on sales management systems you could have focused on transformation but actually your focus was very much on the ethical practice of of artificial intelligence so why was that such a concern for you why did you do it such an interesting question you posed there phil <laughs> tell you all about it so it happened that we were looking into some ai sort of uh, app or application to help our sales reps. And uh, I did some research and met three vendors. And out of the one that we chose was a vendor called Sales Choice. And the CEO of Sales Choice was Dr. Sydney Gordon, or not was, is Dr. Sydney Gordon, and a very close friend of mine and a mentor, of course. And so I worked closely with her to deploy this solution. Uh, but the short and long of it was when we really saw the people using it, one of our directors, our sales directors, was a bit, how should I say it, uh, not really trusting what AI would put out, you know, I mean, what the output was. And he would always question and query as to, I mean, this is a system. I mean, do we just believe it carte blanche or uh, how do I know it's always outputting the right uh, kind of results that we should take action on. And I think that's where was the first beginning, I think, the spark that mm -hmm. just lit. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I mean, it could be there is something beyond. There's, there's some doubt, an element of doubt in his mind that this might not be the case. And so I did pursue that with Dr. Cindy Gordon. And as we talked uh, throughout, uh, she said, why don't you explore this as, as part of a dissertation that you're doing in the master's would be a really interesting subject because there's hardly any research or any material out there in the world on this. And I think that's that's how the very first instance started. So when you talk about this, you talk about the ethical side of AI, like believing in the data. Is it fake news, if you like, that we're getting from our AI systems or... Uh, because I think the particular system you were looking at was kind of focused on probability, wasn't it? Probability of sales pipeline. And I, I guess your sales director was sort of kind of questioning, um, is the prob you know, should I believe in the probability data that I'm getting out of, you know, this, this app that sits behind our CRM system? Is, is that right? Absolutely spot on. Yeah. I mean, he was like, hey, how do I know it's doing the right thing and telling me the right thing? Right. So, yeah, I mean, so I think and, and just to add to that, uh, Phil, there is like two types of AI. There's transparent AI where uh, the human beings work on code and the variables are all measured. And if should something go wrong, they can always go back and find out where the problem is, as opposed to what is called black box AI where there's a ton of variables and the AI and the code is such convoluted that even should something go wrong, even the authors or the coders cannot find what happened because the AI is just doing its own thing. And luckily we did go with transparent AI with sales choice. So if an event of that magnitude should happen, we could always go back and search. 
But AI being new to everybody, I think there is, I mean, an element of resistance, an element of change, uh, if you will. And people are always like, you know, conscious of, hey, here's a system telling me what I should be doing. I mean, and I've never done that before. So there's there's natural amount of, Mm -hmm. I think, an inertia to be moved to get to that level. And if you read more and more on AI, I think you get more and more confused. (laughs) That's the way I feel. Yeah. I think um, I think for many of the listeners, I mean, it, it, the word AI now is is becoming, you know, sort of ubiquitous in a way. I mean, I was at a I was at a supper party with friends last night, and um, we had a discussion about AI from people that I never knew would even have heard of it. You know, the, these weren't business people. It was a social context. It was mothers of children you know it was um yeah <laughs> i mean it was a, a cross section i would say um but they were all talking about it so they all kind of know the letters but they probably don't know what ai really is you know what is ai and you've you've been so i, I just wonder and you've said yourself you know you've got black box ai and you've got transparent ai well that's the I must admit that's the first time I'd well until I read your dissertation the first time I'd I'd sort of cottoned on to the fact that they're two types but it's two types being rather simple are there are there more you know is there a taxonomy or a you know a lexicon that we need to talk about before we get into your particular you know should we understand some basic terminologies like what is machine learning and I'm taking things down to a very basic level but yeah, def- definitely. I mean, there is, there is different types of AI for sure. So there's narrow AI, narrow bound AI, narrow band AI rather. And then on the opposite end, we got generative AI and then we got the large language models. So the narrow AI would be something like sales choice where you give in a set of variables and the algorithm will only work within those preset limits and the variables fed in. Whereas large language models are continuously learning and the iterations happen on a daily basis. So machine learning, that's where it comes in. So those kind of algorithms are programmed uh, to scar every bit of data that's fed in and learn from it. So yeah, you're rightly so. There's there's two major types in that okay. sense, yes. Well, that's great. And I think that one of the things in reading your, your dissertation that was, was quite interesting, because you were, you were also connecting... Um, the challenge you had or the desire to introduce this piece of technology with workload. And, uh, you know, you talk, you quoted some of the um, stats that uh, came, I think, from Bora of Salesforce, uh, where you said that 60% of salespeople's time is on non-selling activities and 34% on selling. So your motivation to introduce this uh, new system was driven from a sort of increasing, I guess, the productivity of the sales force as well as the probability of the outputs of their work. Is, is that correct in terms of how can we free up more time so that salespeople can spend more time selling? And then how can we start to uh, more accurately forecast the outputs of the extra work or the, the, the work they put into sales. 100%. Well, you're spot on. I mean, that was, was looking at both the productivity, the effectiveness, and also like reducing 
downtime so that salespeople could be actively selling and getting more business in. So, okay. So that's great. So we've sort of setting the scene. This was the scenario. You had the sales director who was um, kind of a little bit resistant. But you also talked about in your, your dissertation a personal account of how you were engaged with a particular organization to find that you were talking not to a person, but to a, a robot. Is that, is that correct? You talk, <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, think... it, it, I mean, it's 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 funny you say that, but it's an encounter, and when you personally go through it, then that's yeah. that's your wake up call. So you're you're right. I'll tell you the story very quickly here. So I did attend an online webinar, as I most often do in my in my field of work and job, and this was on something a company called Conversica. They were uh, offering some sales enablement technology, and just after the webinar ended, I got this lovely email from Alexis Taylor, uh, who was an assistant there, and said, oh, Lenny, we'd love you. It was happy to have you on the webinar. Thank you, and so on and so forth. I thought nothing of it. Uh, went on my merry day. And then a couple of weeks later, I got another nice email from Alexis again, uh, saying, oh, Lenny, would you like to talk to us more? What your interest? Again, I ignored that. And Long story short, this went on for a period of six months, literally, and I made nothing of it. I was, okay, another person just on my case. And then on the sixth month, just for the six months, <clears throat> excuse me, beginning of six months, I got another beautiful email saying, how oh, I don't want to be a pest, but would really love to have you talk to us and so on and so forth. And maybe I think that's where persistence broke me down. <laughs> <laughs> and I just gave in and I said, I wrote a nice email back to Alexis saying, oh, Alexis, I admire your persistence. I've been in selling and this is the first time I've seen somebody with such strong follow up, you know, and I admire that. And then for that fact, I'm OK to take a call with you. <laughs> wow. I laugh now because <clears throat> the very next moment I got an answer from Alexis and it said, oh, thank you, Lenny. Uh, you would wish to talk to Leo who's our sales agent? And I'm like, so who's Leo then? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and that kind of perturbed me. And the next day when I did have a conversation with Leo, the first thing I asked Leo is like, uh, Leo, so who is Alexis? And aghast I was to hear, Leo said, oh, Alexis is our AI assistant, uh, which you've been talking to. And I think that was my Eureka moment when I said, I apologize to an AI chatbot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I know. For the I, first time in my life. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, it's so interesting because, you know, we talk about authenticity and, you know, client centricity as part of the work that I've been doing on values and mindsets. And, and I, I think I can completely understand, you know, your reaction. So, so did that stop you from continuing the conversation when you realized this was just, a fake uh, robot you're talking to, or, or did you in fact uh, continue with? Uh... I think I, w I was kind of you know torn between two mindsets there. Yeah. <clears throat> Leo, Leo happened to be a nice guy. He was honest. He yeah. told me what the chatbot was, but yeah. I did protest in all manner of things that I could, okay. saying that that was completely wrong way to approach yeah. a client because 
I really felt ashamed. I felt, you know, that yeah. I was taken for a ride, if you will. And yeah. that is not right. I do not care how good your AI is and how good conversation it writes. But yeah. I mean, when I look back, I feel that I apologize to a machine. <laughs> so yeah, that is yeah, stuck in my head. I know. <laughs> I know. It's so, so interesting. I'm sure many of us have actually uh, sort of had something, you know, perhaps similar when you, 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 uh, feel you know they haven't been transparent you know if they were transparent at the outset somehow and you knew that this is the process then maybe you would have reacted a, a bit more differently so but I think you get it you know what for me is such an important part of this conversation which is you know it, it sort of draws into the eth ethicability of AI and you, you you've got it from human interaction not you know, human to a bot in this case, you shared your personal story. Um, but you've also got it uh, in the context of just data that's produced and is data true or false? And so this ethical dilemma, I think you can you sort of see through different, you know, they're sort of multifaceted, if you like. So let's come back to your thesis. Now, I know that you completed your thesis. I think it was in January 2022. Is, I Correct. think that's when you had it in. Yes. And uh, I don't think you've been to graduation yet, Lenny, though. Uh, I, I, I hope one day you'll come over to London for, for graduation. I did. I was at the graduation ceremony. Oh, yes. Oh, blimey. I missed Yes. I, I wasn't. Yeah, you were traveling. Uh, you said I you could not traveling. make it. You, you were getting at the son's wedding in Portugal or something. Oh, yeah. Of course it was. <laughs> of course it was. Okay. So I'm very glad you made it. Anyway. <laughs> um, but, um, okay. So let's go into the journey. So you had this concern. Could you talk us through um, the kind of things you did on the Masters? Because you would have done some research. You would have started to explore I guess, um, what's the current literature around artificial intelligence? And uh, I think it was quite interesting to see some of the things you discovered about ethical frameworks, you know, from geography to geography as well. But I wonder if you could just talk us through, you know, sort of, was there a lot of research literature out there that you could see on this topic? And uh, just generally, what did you find out when you started to do your literature research? Yeah, I mean, great question. So, yeah, I did exactly that. I just I just took out my research mind out and said, let me see what's out there. Uh, what I did find was ethics in AI was a fairly new topic, uh, not very much written on it in the general scheme of things. However, each country, such as UK, Canada, USA, China, uh, that I really focused on, they all had uh, some sort of ethical framework that they were working on, that they had put out there. Uh, and also, I tried to do like a comparative analysis uh, with different types of organizations as well. So I used the countries as one. I used international uh, intergovernmental organizations, such as the European Union, the World Economic Forum, the OECD, and the G20. Also looked at multinational technology companies like IBM, Google, SAP, and Baidu, and also non-profit organizations. So uh, Equitas, AI Now Institute, the Red Cross, and Women Leading in AI. And last but not least, I looked at uh, global consulting firms uh, such as PricewaterhouseCoopers, Ernst & Young, McKinsey, and Deloitte. And 
each of them in these categories did have something to say on AI for sure. But I think what was lacking or missing out there was something very comprehensive, uh, you know, in terms of what ethics is and how it should be interpreted. And one thing I also went home with was there was not one definition for ethics as such that everybody could rely on and everybody could agree on because I think uh, just by the nature of AI, it has just evolved all around the world in its own kind of realm uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to scientific or medical doctor practices as such, which has been highly regulated. Yeah. I think it would be quite helpful to, because I think there were a number of principles against which you sort of evaluated ethical frameworks um, and you know it covered things like governance and transparency and and so on and I think you use that framework to kind of compare you know the different framework agreements that you saw across those different entities but do you think you could explain the different principles that you looked at is it is that possible to do for the listener you know what, what oh absolutely areas? yeah would love to would love to so I, I just got to say, I mean, this this credit goes to Dr. Cindy Gordon because I, yeah. I developed these in consultation with her. So she calls them the sales choice seven ethical principles. I mean, we collaborated on this together. So I just would just be remiss of me not to, not yes, to mention or give her the credit. But yes, so there are seven principles in all, Phil. And the first one is governance. And the definition for that is the policies, processes, and relevant technology components required to ensure safe, reliable, accountable, and trustworthy AI solutions. Uh, The second one is process, and the definition there is the roles and responsibilities, process architecture, methods, and practices, and rewards and recognition to drive AI ethics in an organization. Uh, The third principle there is technology, and this includes the technical infrastructure, the tools needed to train in AI, and the people that manage the AI models. Uh, The fourth principle is people, and this uh, talks to leadership practices as well as the roles and skills and performance of the people working with AI. Uh, The fifth principle is data and privacy, so it takes about the it talks about the data attributes required to support all the AI models and the AI strategy. Uh, the sixth principle is transparency, where we talk about the algorithm explainability and the identification and methods of data selection that feed into the model. And last but not least, and the most important one here is sustainability. So the plan of action for achieving desired level of AI sustainability in the organization. So those were the seven principles and the definitions. Yeah. Were this, I mean, you may not know this, and perhaps we have to have Cindy on the podcast as well at some time, but was that, was that uh, part of the basis of her own doctorate on the subject? Is, is uh, no, it was, no, it was not. This, this, okay. this came about uh, to answer, uh, like I said, my concern at the beginning as to how sales choice and AI ethics works together. And then yeah. Cindy said it would help the both of us to, to explore that. And that's how yeah. the topic got there. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think it's a really interesting framework. And I, I, so when I was reading your, your dissertation, I was thinking there's a, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot here, you know, and I began to think of Consalia, you know, and been thinking about, you know, to yes. what extent, what extent does our, do our policies cover AI? And with all of the developments that are now taking place, you know, 
how, how do we as an educational establishment, you know, sort of establish policies? How do we communicate that with our students? You know, there's so many things that you kind of triggered when I when I sort of went back to your dissertation and thinking, you know, we really need to to look into this. And I've already had a chat with Eddie about it, actually, uh, before this uh, podcast. But um, so, yeah, it's it's really interesting. So a couple of things strike me. One is that you found with your research, there wasn't a lot of academic research. I guess it's such a new and fast moving world that uh, yeah. there may be not a lot of academic research into this topic. The second is that against those principles, you found there are very different frameworks from country to country. There's no consistent one one methodology right. for looking at this particular topic. So I guess, you know, the way is quite interesting. And, you, you know, you talk about it, the way you look at sort of facial recognition, for example, you know, outputs, you know, the way that you look at that, uh, if you're in China, may be quite difficult, you know, different to say in the USA. And, yeah. you know, you found that the the the, the sort of, moral dilemmas that you face with uh, this whole topic of ai varies a little bit from culture to culture and nation to you know nation to nation so just found it found it really quite quite interesting um uh, that the the difference um okay so and you took this, these kind of frameworks and then i think you you then had a chance to explore well for, for my own company, I think you ran some exercises to assess the level of maturity. And I don't necessarily need you to share, you know, the, the detail of that, uh, Lenny. But could you explain what you were hoping to achieve from that exercise? I think the first and foremost thing I wanted to do was uh, just even put ethical AI uh, on onto the dashboard, if you will, on the radar of the senior management team. Like, I mean, uh, as you see organizations around you, everybody wants to jump on a quick solution of an app or an AI, and everybody readily does so. But I think none of us stand back to think and say, hey, was this app built ethically? Yeah. Was the data fed into this model ethically based and so on and so forth? So I think my, my first attempt there was to just even create that awareness, if you will, yeah. of, of what it does mean to have ethical AI. And so therefore, I had a bunch of questions uh, created, a questionnaire of five questions for each of the principles. So the seven principles yeah. into five, I had 35 questions. And what I, what I ventured out to do was explore the maturity of that awareness within the organization yeah. so i had like a, a kind of a likert scale yes. uh, something saying from uh, not mature to very mature kind of stuff and in between so slightly moderate and yes. very mature in fact and my findings i mean i did have mixed uh, uh, participation for various reasons such as the peak uh, time that i was doing it in the business uh, because this was happened during december but the the small and short of it is that clearly there was not an awareness. Most of the answers felt between the satisfactory and slightly moderate satisfactory kind of maturity process. Yeah. So which which really kind of conferred to me that there's there's work to be needs to be done. There needs yeah. we need definitely to build the AI governance framework within the company 
and and I think so too. Uh, if I extrapolate that, I think to organizations as well, because even till today, now that I've finished, it's been a year and a half since I finished my master's, mm-hmm. I have not come across <laughs> companies who have an AI governance framework firmly established uh, as part of their modus operandi or day-to-day operations. I'm sure that's right. I think I think uh, you're sort of moving very much into the unknown, and I, but I can see the importance of the starting point almost for looking at implementing AI solutions for for your own business is the governance model, you know, the ethical framework, because that should inform the decisions you take about the type of approaches you might want to to have for, you know, for AI. So um, let's kind of, you know, so you ran this exercise, you know, for your own organization, you've shared a bit of the feedback. Um, if we if we start to come to the end of your uh, dissertation, you've collected all the data, you've done the literature, kind of research and you are now sort of forming a a point of view about this topic i wonder if you could kind of share what your you know some of the the major takeaways have been for you you know the major learnings from the exercise that you did oh yeah definitely would love to do that uh i think that the, the the fun part here was like you know when when you have that inclination that AI is so new, and then when you got the data to corroborate that, like you you feel as a student at least the dissertation, like oh, I got something which I don't know how you say the word, kind of undermines or probably not undermines the right word that gives you more strength and potential to see I'm headed in the right path. So I think that's what happened there. Uh, so I thought long and hard on what I should be doing as an output of this exercise, uh, really. And then uh, what I thought uh, in conjunction with uh, Dr. Sidney Gordon again, because we sat and said, so what should be our recommendations on this topic, right? And so we, we thought of uh, building something called uh, a governance framework for board of directors on all the seven principles and how they would go forth and forward. Like you rightly said earlier, Lenny, I'm thinking of building something for Consalia. So how would how would someone, if they were very keen on building a framework, where the, where should they begin and what should be their kind of steps to take? Uh, perhaps I think I took I took a stab at that, if you will, uh, mm. to say so. I started first of all with sustainability uh, implications because that was the least among the awareness that I found. Yeah. And and sustainability is huge. And I think we talked that about that the other day because sustainability is becoming existential for us with climate change. Yes. And we were venturing to talk and I said maybe AI is more serious and existential than sustainability. <laughs> so Well I I think yeah, I'd love to talk to you about it because Yes, this whole sustainability issue, and uh, yeah, you you are comparing sustainability and, like you said, AI with with climate change, and 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 you are, you know, challenging. I guess the fact that uh, AI is is going to have a more serious impact on humanity than climate change, and I I, I, think... I definitely stand. Oh yeah, I stand by. I know it's a huge statement to make, but yeah. please go on. Sorry, I interrupt. No, no, it's. It's, but I think it's something that we should talk about now about why you, why you feel this is the most important thing, 
you know what 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 yeah what are the trends that you see taking place now particularly since you're i mean you you finished in 2022 but of course since then we've had chat gpt which has kind of taken over and i think everyone is beginning now to be aware of uh, of ai to be aware of kind of machine learning aware of the power of this to help humanity and to destroy it potentially um so i i think it's something we should talk about you know why do you think it's such a big threat to put it ahead of climate change certainly certainly phil uh, i think you're right i mean since i wrote the dissertation uh, chat gpt came along large language models generative ai so if if someone were to ask me what is a large language model you would just say it's just like uh, a machine learning app which just injects, I think, gazillion amounts of data and then just keeps on learning and iterating every second, building on its own intelligence, if you will. I think the segue for me from that is everything that we're doing, AI is permeated every essence and fabric of our life, whether you know it or not. Every field, I think you said it earlier, we become ubiquitous with it. Yeah. And whether we are aware or not, AI has gone into every field on the planet. And just to bring it closer to climate change, we are building all these environmental models. Guess what? They're built on AI. <laughs> so okay. the, the question there that I know, the question begged there is like, hey, what if this AI model was not giving us the right direction? What if the data that was fed into this at the beginning, and that's what the design we talk about, the very yeah. first when the machine was built that this was put as part of its DNA. Because if it's it's like what we say, practice makes perfect, but it's perfect practice. Good practice makes good perfect. But if you have bad practice, that makes bad practice perfect too. Yeah, so yeah. I think the essence is where is the good or bad and who decides that? I mean, how do we know? Because data scientists work very clearly on data. They get they are very excited about data and how it can A is equal to B and B is equal to C or A squared plus B is equal to C squared. But you need a human sentience to talk about ethics to say, wait a minute, was this model fed only data from the US? And now we're going to put it as a world map to say there's rainfall in China or India, for example. Or was this model fed from data from every country in the world? How do we know? Who knows? Who checks? Yeah. We're talking about the wildfires that are happening today. I mean, globally, really. I mean, where did the heat come from? I mean, again, there's, had we known that our models were there uh, to that level of precision, we should have been forewarned, at least that's my saying. And therefore, that leads me to believe that I think if it, it the lead on here is if we believe that everything is being run by AI and it's going to be sust uh, sustainably increasing in the near future, and it's just going to be iterative and exponential in growth. When do we ever take a step back and say, hey, but let's go back to the beginning and see the foundations of these models? Because very few people know that an AI machine also needs feeding and caring just like humans do. Because if that does not happen, something called happens is a phenomenon called drift in the model. And drift is nothing else but AI just going its onward leeward way without any kind of the checks or balances, like mm. I said. 
So it is two things, not only to get the ethical right at the beginning of the machine, but also to keep it consecutively fed and watered and doctored and disciplined as we go forward. Because if you do not care, take care of the drift, you would eventually go to a wrong path. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's fascinating. So I'm feeling rather nervous about AI now based on what you've just said. But I think we've also talked about you know, the positives of AI, because I, you know, so I wouldn't mind, you know, sort of, there's, there's a, what, what's there's a sort of a tension uh, between what it can do if it, if it's managed well, I guess, and, you know, the contributions it could make to sales performance, I imagine could be immense. Uh, but equally, as you rightly say, if the data we're getting is, is not clean data, it's not good data, then it, it could be the other way. So where, where do you stand on this, you know, how do you see AI in sales? Do you see it as a really positive, uh, you know, thing, or do you see it as something to be very concerned about and wary of? No, I absolutely think that's a great question, Phil. I absolutely think AI is a force for good. I okay. absolutely think that all of us should jump onto the AI bandwagon, because, like I rightly said, I think Google just invented a new quantum computer, and then. If that can do trillion calculations less than six seconds. I mean, the evolution of new computers, new models is just going to go on. I mean, there's no stopping that. I think we'd really miss out if we do not work with the AI. But I think the caveat here is to coexist with AI rather than resist AI. I think that's, that's kind of my mantra. But having said that, uh, it is to instill this ethical piece. So right at the design stage, right when the data scientists are building those very first steps of code into the machine, we incorporate the ethics into the DNA piece. And then we build on that as we go forward. I think so those checks and balances, I think AI is definitely a force for good and something which is transparent as well. So God forbid, if the main coder passes away, somebody else takes over, they can go back to the machine and look at it and say, oh, now I know. I can check back, do some fault correction, as opposed to black box where the machine alone knows or maybe doesn't know what it's doing. So um, if you were sort of giving some advice to someone else in the sales enablement role who's looking at, you know, all these you know, AI-driven sort of technologies, um, what, what can people do to actually determine whether this is good AI practice or you know how do you know it's a black box driven ai solution versus a a human you know uh sort of affected dna you know is in the, in its design are there are there any questions you can ask or you know how would you how would you know if it's a ethically designed because I, I guess they don't need to tell you that when they sell you a solution what what questions can you ask yeah, that's a great question, Phil. So on the outer, AI is AI. It just looks the same. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I think it's just like the hood of the car. If you open it, then only you can see in. But AI is if you open, you just see code. And for a normal person like yeah. me, I, I do not read code. I do not write code. Yeah. So I, I think the essence there is just to ask. So the persons okay. who built the model, they know whether it's transparent or black box. And they'll be able to tell you. If it is transparent, they'll be able to tell you all the variables that they put into it. They'll tell you about the logarithm, uh, the algorithms that they use. There are different types of algorithms there, the decision trees, and models of those. And the ethical piece, which is our 
focus of our conversation today. Yeah, I mean, did they talk about that? Did they take into that into consideration the perspective while they're building that code? Are they very open and honest when they talk to people saying, hey, this is run by a machine as opposed to a human being? Because with ChatGPT on the corner here, we do not know whether we're talking to a machine or to a human being now yeah. I mean, because it really emulates us so well. And I think the last thing here is we're talking of sentience. I mean, there is, I think, uh, I was just reading, uh, again, my dissertation when you, at the prior of our conversation here, at Weizenbaum is a late computer scientist, uh, not with us now. And he goes on to say that no matter how intelligent an AI machine can be, if it does not feel and does not have emotions as in sentience, then maybe it's not the AI we really want to have kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's that's the asset test. That's where we need to still treat a machine as a machine uh, because of that sentience piece which is missing. Yes, I think you quoted, was it Weizenbaum as well, who yeah. was one of the people that, that wrote, you know, uh, that non-human should not be in professions that require human interaction. Was that, True. Was that yeah. So, yes. So, so people have obviously sort of given some some thought to this, and uh, so academics, uh, you know, who've done done research on the topic. Um, so I th I think it's you know it's it's really important that that we make this ethical issue more prominent, uh, you know, as a as a an issue that sales directors and heads of sales enablement should be more more kind of aware of um okay well i think that's that's been really really interesting um where where is this this study on ethics taking you lenny how do you see it kind of have you stopped now you've done the dissertation and or you know how is it kind of feeding into what you're currently doing i i think you know the, i would i shouldn't say this the word sad part is i mean there's a lot of talk about ethics all over the world in AI, but nobody seems to have put it on paper. For example, I do not see an RFP going out which says, hey, can you please show me your ethical principles on how this data, this model, this AI was built on? Or, you know, yeah. uh, what sort of checks and balances do you have in the system? Or, for example, a quick example in the sales area I was talking about, let's say the model was built on 50% of uh, the people, or maybe say 30% of the people were women and 70% of the people were men. And then they are way to market and the talk and whatever they say is different, but the model was already skewed to begin with. And then we take the model and put it across the entire sales force. Whereas the sales force had 80% women and 20% men. And then you can see what happens. As this is yeah. just a simple gender example. Yeah. And this this could be... Uh, extrapolated into language, into culture, into maybe currencies, what have you. Yeah. Uh, and they have to be precise. And the model has to be tweaked every time. It's not like one and done. That's to be continuous kind of uh, checks and balances to have parity with what's happening in the real world. So the model doesn't go drift, like I said uh, yeah. earlier. And I think that's that's in a word where the ethics has to come into life of its own. That's where ethics has to be front and center of every organization. And I'm sure at this stage, 
every organization has got a few, if not thousands of AI models working unbeknownst to everybody in the organization. Yeah. And nobody has ever asked the ethical part. How were they built? When were they built? Who's looking after them? Why and how? Yeah. God, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's so, so interesting and so important. Um, I know that you're very close to the work that Cindy is doing and those seven principles that you referred to um, sort of earlier in the, in, in the conversation. Um, have you found, you know, that Cindy's work in this area is kind of unique or, or are you finding examples now of other software and AI-driven apps, you know, also uh, addressing the ethical principles or, or are you still finding it very rare to come across? I am still finding it very rare, Phil. In fact, last month I was talking to one of our AI developers in sales. He approached me through LinkedIn and we just got talking on the very topic. And he said, Lenny, if you're going to give me a couple tips, your two cents, what would that be? And my very first was, have you done anything on ethics on this? And I got the, huh? kind of reaction from him. Uh, And this gentleman has been in the AI business uh, for more than 20 years, built companies and sold them. And I think this was his fifth iteration of building something. And just that reaction from him, just uh, I had to take a seat back and say, oh, so so to, to your point, I think ethics has to be the foundation if not yeah. anything else, of any AI application built, any application, I would say, uh, around the world. And then only then we can rest assured and say, hey, you know, I feel good about this because uh, this is, has been built ethically the ground up uh, so I can trust it. Lenny, if, if a listener wanted to learn more about the the kind of survey that you did, you know, in terms of, you know, you talked about the uh, sort of moderately, in, you know, are we doing something and yeah. against the seven principles that you mentioned earlier? <coughs> I think you mentioned 35 different questions. Is that something that listeners could get access to in some form? Or would you would you be happy to share that or or could we give them your details to contact or I mean, how how, how do you feel? Uh, perhaps we need to talk to Cindy about it as well to see if she's happy. But uh, yeah, I think, I think the getting... the first point of call was just to check back with Cindy as to uh, how yeah. how we share that uh, IP okay. there in, in terms of this question okay. because they were specifically built on the understanding for the project. Okay, uh, uh, and so yes, but uh, if, if Cindy gave us a green light, then for sure I'd be happy okay. happy to share the model. Okay. Uh, we'll take this bit of the conversation off offline. You know, we'll talk to Cindy about it, and and then perhaps we could, um, you know, if she's happy for us to share it, recognizing it was her her IP on it. She, you know, then it would be wonderful. Yeah. I think you, you'll you'll give people perhaps something to uh, to to kind of think about. Right. Okay. Well, is there anything else that we haven't talked about, Lenny, that you feel? Are there any questions I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? No, I think you were brilliant, uh, Phil. You asked me all the questions. <laughs> I mean, I had a great time talking to you. I mean, in conclusion, I can only say that I think I had a visual there in my dissertation talking of human-centric AI. Yeah. I mean, so 
So my, my, my kind of uh, appeal to the world of all the developers and the trainers and the programmers, if you will, yeah. uh, is that let's build human-centric AI where humans and AI can exist. I mean, peacefully, complementary yeah. to one another, as opposed to having these fake bits and risks yeah, yeah. of cyber warfare and what have you. What 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 you said a couple of things is sort of triggered in me. You you talked about you've not yet seen an RFP where the RFP has kind of asked for the AI and you know ethical policy in the way it's been developed. And uh, I mean, if that was part, if that was a norm, you know, uh, then I guess it's going to make companies you know create the right policies, and that 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 would be a really interesting conversation uh, to have with the buying community you know um and that may help drive a different type of behavior with the software developers but also from the you know the sales community i think the more that they go into this with eyes wide open you know the better decisions they'll take on the, the sort of apps that they will have to support their you know their sales organizations but um and I know that we've spoken most of this time talking about ethics and AI, but I, I wonder whether you've got any comment to make between AI and sales performance. You know, have you managed yet to have looked at how AI has improved performance, you know, of, of, of the organization through some of the initiatives that you've managed to introduce? I mean, I, I personally have not done any correlation studies as such, but I did read some third-party independent ones uh, where they have they have made some correlations and they can they have said that AI did help in the productivity and efficiency yeah. of of the people involved in sales. So I I firmly believe uh, that to be true as well, or it can yeah. be true. Again, I think it's like everything else we say in life uh, you can take a horse to the water but cannot make him drink so you could have the best system in ai in the world or crm or what have you but if you do not have the sales reps and the entire sales community or fraternity participating in it right yeah. from the ceo down as i say in my recommendations the ceo is the kingpin here yeah. and if he or she does not like pass it down to the rank and file then I don't think we would get 100%. So I think yeah. the use to have a product which is really good is one thing, but the use of it is also the second part to get the results you're looking for. That's fantastic. Lenny, I think we're close to the hour and uh, it's been such a, a great interview. I can't believe how quickly uh, the time has gone <laughs> uh, here. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the Sales Transformation Podcast. Well, thank you, Phil. It was great. A pleasure to be here. And uh, was great to recounting my experience in the dissertation. I mean, just to just to say, to close off how we met, so uh, give it some uh, context there. I was for looking for a long time to do an MBA. Uh, and I was like, wait a minute. And I'm in sales for such a long time. Maybe there's something out there, masters, only in sales, because that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do economics or maths or yeah, uh, statistics and trigonometry, what have you, and I'm like, and lo and behold, I came across you guys. So, really happy and fortunate to have found you on oh. the web, and like few years forth, hence having done the masters too. So, moment of great pride for me, and oh. having uh, you, you been, uh, 
you've been a big help along the way uh, for me to, to reach this point. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's a great pleasure. And it's uh, what I love about the Masters um, is the f- it is the kind of projects that people do. I mean, I think you've, you know, the innovation that we're getting now from learning from the work that our students make and and also, you know, the fact that you are breaking new ground. You know, it's new territory. It hasn't been done before. Uh, you yeah. know, I just love that aspect of it and i i think that we're constantly looking for ways of making more explicit you know the knowledge that is built and the podcasts are part of that journey as you know right but but possibly there's going to be some machine learning based on the analysis of all the dissertations that our students make and i just wonder where that could take us we haven't explored it yet lenny but uh and maybe we don't have enough data points for it to be a practical um, concept, but I suspect it may come at some point. Oh, abs- absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. You, you could be a, build a miniature chat GPT model and away you go. <laughs> away we go. Oh, my God. I shall, I shall, I shall, before I do anything, Lenny, I'm going to listen to this podcast and make sure we've got the right policies in place. That, 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 that's for sure. Yeah, I think, I think there, I mean, now that you're so deep into it, Phil, what you, what you would likely first step, at least my, you know, I could be a consultant by writing your, I would like to do that pro bono. How about that? Doing uh, some research work, developing a, a, a what do you call it, a global uh, framework, an AI framework just for Consalia. How about that? That'd be a fun project I to work on. I would love, I would love you to do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think the first step then there would be is just to go around and see what AI applications you currently have in your inventory. I think yeah. that would just be the first starting point, just to okay. see every single one of them, and you'd be surprised how many you have. I don't. I don't know if we have that many, but Eddie, Eddie probably trust, trust me. They sneak into your workplace. You wouldn't know. There would be something in accounts payable that you don't even look at, but there must be some AI there because okay. I think they they have, like you said, permeated every angle and sphere of our right. lives. So you'd be surprised. Okay. Well, there's a challenge. We'll talk about that later, Eddie. For sure. <laughs>